The Women of Ill Repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Hey, Maureen, is there anything that you won't talk about? Anything I won't talk about? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. First of all, if I tell you, then I'm talking about it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Secondly, no, I don't think there is. And third of all, the two most awkward and personal topics would be how much money do I make or have and how often do I have sex? And the answer to both would be not quite enough, right? How about you? Well, I mean, I have like sex like all the time, nonstop. I just I just finished. I, just... I don't know how you find time to do this podcast, given the amount of sex that you're having. Yeah, but I'm not paid for it. So, you know, I, I got <laughs> I got to work on that. Well, like you, I could use more of those. Okay, well, let's let's bring this around to comedy, because I think the the best comedians, stand up comedians anyway, will talk about the things that make people uncomfortable. I just watched Ricky Gervais special and he's the master of going to uncomfortable places and somehow finding his way out the other end or Sarah Silverman or like him or not, Dave Chappelle goes there and they find something that makes us all squirm a little bit and they just go there. Yeah, Dave Chappelle, boy, oh boy, he, you know, he just did this thing on SNL where he basically said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I hate you all. But he said that before. He seems to be preoccupied with dealing with issues and then getting shit for it and then complaining about the shit. It's just, but he's funny. He's very, he's very funny. Anyway, he is funny. He's funny. And well, a lot of people think what he says is true, whether you agree with it or not. He apparently speaks the truth to somebody. Yeah, well, the truth, that's like, that's a big deal. It's kind of a complicated thing. The idea is that the truth will set you free. Hopefully it'll make you laugh, but it's, it's can also be offensive. It also involves taking risks, right? The truth is different things to different people. But comedy is offensive. It's often offensive. It should be. Marshall McLuhan, the great Canadian media philosopher said, all jokes are grievances. There's pain behind every joke. We tell jokes to release and communicate grievances. That's really funny, Marie. Shut up. <laughs> so I can, I got one. I can add to that. Billy Wilder, you know, the, the famous director said, if you're going to tell people the truth, be funny or they'll kill you. So that's cheery. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that Aisha Brown is funny. Aisha Brown is our guest this week and she's the first black woman ever. Surely not. She's the first black woman to tape a comedy special for Crave Television, which was back in 2020. And I've told you not to call me Shirley. You also used to like throw cliches at me, right? Like you've heard that one. It's, uh, it's never, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all, right? Which is utter garbage, right? <laughs> right? Because it's the memories of love that make you hurt. Like you'd never say to a recently diagnosed diabetic, hey man, remember donuts? <laughs> you love those. Sorry about your foot. Yeah, it's insensitive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there we are. Aisha, she's a, a little younger than both Shirley's. She's written, performed on Baroness Von Sketch, as well as the Beaverton, This Hour's 22 Minutes, all of these standards, really great. Yeah, and she's considered one of the top three Aishas in Canadian comedy. There are three. There are actually, well, there's probably more than three, but there's only one. Today, there's only one, and we welcome Aisha Brown. Hello, Aisha. Hi, Aisha. How are you? Hello. Oh, my gosh. You're both fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm getting over a little cold. So I'm sorry if I'm a bit congested sounding. I, I'm usually much sexier, my voice. Oh, really? So you can't do sexy? There's no... Uh... You know, there's, uh, there's no phone operator <laughs> who wants this today. <laughs> when we were doing the sound check, you said you never have breakfast. So this is you without breakfast. Not bad. Oh, well, thank you. I'm good hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell us, you, we, we watched your Crave special last night, and that was, that was done two years ago, right? Or, or more. It was pre-pandemic. It was actually done three years ago, yeah, in 2019, summer of 2019, which feels like a lifetime ago. I feel very different than that person <laughs> taped that special. Yeah, well, we were wondering about you because we went online and, you know, there's all kinds of jokes in the special and then there's all kinds of information about you. But where are you? Like, where do you live now? Are you a writer now? Are you still performing? Are you still with the white guy? Do you, you know, all, all that? So, like, tell us all the stuff. <laughs> well, no, he moved on to other pastors. <laughs> I don't know where he is. Sounds like a special. <laughs> Maybe, maybe a, a sad documentary, but uh, yeah, I guess life just kind of changed a lot. I, I don't really love social media, never have. I think I did make a joke about it in the special, but yeah, I, I can't stand social media. So once the pandemic hit and people locked down and it was, it almost became less expected of me as a comedian. I just stopped doing it. There's a lot of things I stopped doing. I stopped performing and, and stuck mostly to writing. I, I write mainly for TV now. And I do in the back corners of my mind when I miss it, I'll probably go back to stand up, but I don't miss it yet. <laughs> I, I do enjoy writing for other people and making them wear, I guess, the jokes. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to sign checks off of other people's backs. <laughs> It's interesting that you say you prefer writing. And do you think you're as dangerous? Maybe that's not the right word, but risky with other people as you are writing for yourself because you do take a lot of risks yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not. I'm more careful when I write for other people. Like lately, I've been writing for this hour's 22 minutes, lovely cast. And not only would I never put anyone in harm's way <laughs> on that show, but I, I also don't think they'd let me. I couldn't get away with the content of a stand-up special on this hour's 22 minutes. It's a different audience, but you know, they're, they're universally linked and that they like to laugh. So it's a, a different type of punchline. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I guess that every job has a different requirement. Like I've written for Roast Battle Canada, which is also a, a very different show. And that for that show, the punchlines I write, I would never say myself. <laughs> so it really... I don't know, being a writer, you you become a little bit of a chameleon, where you're just kind of trying to, it, it feels a bit like a puzzle, where you're trying to figure out what is the, what is the piece that's going to fit this particular audience. Well, we kind of miss your voice, because there was a very strong voice in the special. You know, there was a lot of anger about, about racism, uh, and also about the boyfriend who dumped you. And I guess now it sounds like there's a, there's a new one and a whole new special. <laughs> Yes, there was another special there. I miss that girl too. She was so thin. She had great skin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. I think that comedy before 2020 was lighter. Even though I was talking about race, it wasn't the same. It's hard to make something funny when it makes you angry, For at least for me. There's some people who can do it very well. They could tap into that anger and maybe their their voice is that anger. 
For me, it needs to get to a place of passive aggressiveness in order for it for me to make it funny because I don't think I don't think I'm likable when I'm angry. <laughs> I think I need to get to a place where I can be a little bit a little bit shitty, but adorable, but shitty. <laughs> and maybe that's a that's the curse of being a woman sometimes is that when we come across as angry, we get a label or we get we're not seen as funny when we're angry. A lot of people have told me that, that on stage, I do a lot of misdirect. Like I have a tone of voice where I sound like I'm going to be really pleasant, but I say something horrifying. And I think that's true of every woman in my life is someone who I find funny because they are so shady or they're, <laughs> they're saying something in a way. I've never worked with a woman, whether it be an office setting or an entertainment, where they haven't had to package what they're saying in a way where it's more pleasant than what it really is. And I, I've done this in emails too, where I've sent emails with smiley faces and I am not smiling just so people don't think I'm mad. And so if there's a way to say what I'm angry about now, where I don't sound so angry and I can package it in a way where it's humorous and it, it makes people laugh, that's when I'll kind of return and say it. So interesting though, because I the fact that women are still having to deal with appearing to be angry is one tangent. We can talk about that forever. But the idea, like I find the anger in, in humor, I find it to be, makes my skin crawl, but it's fascinating and it does make me laugh. And I, I miss that. I mean, I, I want to hear other people's anger, but, but you're saying that a lot of people don't want to hear that. And it's safer for you where you are, I guess, writing. Well, for me, at least for my voice, like I, there are people who can, I, I don't know if you've ever watched Toto Hersey, who I wouldn't actually call angry, but she's Canadian comedian who is black and Muslim and wears a hijab and I think currently lives in New York. And Hodo says a lot of things that make people uncomfortable. She pushes the bar further than I ever have, I feel. But her punchlines are solid and she, she delivers on it. And I, I think, I guess it's just about a comfort level thing. Like in my life, I don't know how many people have seen me angry because I think I, like I'm now 42 and I remember being socialized in a way where like, be pleasant, women are supposed to be pleasant. And that's something I've clearly fought against. <laughs> Even with my stand up, I've, I've pushed beyond the pleasantness of my upbringing, but it's still in there. It's still ingrained in me where I do feel the need to deliver a message in a way that's more pleasant than what it really is. I think that's a universal concern for female comedians that you can't get beyond the being nice thing. Yeah, it's tough. Although this younger generation, or this younger generation, oh my God, I've turned into my dad. <laughs> People our age. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, the kids these days. <laughs> the kids nowadays. I do think that as much as I hate using social media, I see the kids on TikTok. The positive I'm seeing is that girls and women on TikTok are expressive in ways I never would have felt I could be. And that is actually heartwarming to me. I, I like that. I like that women are, are not biting their tongue as much. As much. And yet, I'll tell you, you know, Wendy and I are a generation past you, but so we have kids in their 20s. So we're exposed to their disdain and scorn on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> But I find, and I don't know whether Wendy will agree, but not so much my kids, but maybe they and their friends are more conservative in a lot of ways that they've been taught, especially recently, to be way more careful with their words, their pronouns, their assumptions. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
but they, I find that I'm the one that's constantly being told, mom, you can't say that. And not, not because I'm being insensitive, but just because, well, we, you know, you're not allowed to say these things anymore. They have an advantage. I do feel like, because the one thing I can't stand on social media is how quick every, or how much everybody loves to gotcha everyone. And so there is a thing where when I was a kid and I had a question, I asked my dad, he would tell me to look it up, knowing full and well there was no internet. And I'd have to go to these dusty encyclopedias. And these answers were written in 1967. But <laughs> so, like, there was no easy answer. You couldn't that that whole educate yourself thing that people do like to say on social media. I think it only can go so far. And they have an opposite problem. Whereas when, you know, my dad would tell me to look it up when I was a kid and I'd look and there was one answer. Now, when you tell someone, go educate yourself, look it up. There's a million answers in about like 80% of them are wrong. They're the wrong answer or they're, they're alternate answers. And so I, I think that the need to, I don't know, not shame. Well, yeah, I, I do think that there is an overshaming happening on social media where people don't feel the need to make mistakes. And I do suffer from perfectionism and not in that lie of a job interview way where you say, I'm a perfectionist. It just, <laughs> I do everything perfectly. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Well, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I just can't make a mistake. No, I, I'm a perfectionist in the way where it paralyzes me. And so something like social media, where your words are so permanent, I reject that. I reject pictures lasting forever. I mean, talk to Justin Trudeau about the hilarity of a joke <laughs> forever. You know, there are things that, oh, jokes especially do not age well. And as a comedian, that's a thing that I started a lot later in life than I think most of my peers, the people I was doing shows with. And so it's something that I appreciated immediately and, and thought, I don't like the permanency. I don't think that when you say something on, on social media, it should be representative of your worldview for the rest of your life or that you should have to apologize for it forever. There's just no, there's no grace. Nobody's giving anybody any grace. And I, I mean, I'm saying this broadly. There's obviously people who don't really deserve grace because they have a pattern of acting terribly. Personally, I think that, yeah, the younger generation is more careful, but they're, they're also more judgmental. No offense to your children, though. I, I'm sure they're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> they are judgy. They're so judgy. <laughs> I have a daughter and Maureen has a son the, the same age. And, and my daughter, she was like, she was, she went through some anxiety and depression and not things we can talk about that. Cause I know you went through that too, or are going through that and never really goes away. But there was a particular period where it was super difficult for her and expressing herself on social media was, was very, very helpful, maybe like comedy in a way, but now she's 24 and she's quite left-wing in many ways conservative in many small c conservative in the way of you know don't say this don't say that do this whatever but she hates social media and this she used to be the mean queen of montreal for anglos and now she's like social media serves a purpose and obviously like you can't have relationships you can't communicate you can't know what's happening in the world if you don't do something or read something on social media it's changing the world that we live in. So I can't imagine. I mean, Maureen and I are, we know that we need to be more active on social media all of the time about the podcast and stuff. But hate it. <laughs> it's a job, right? Oh, this is our bond. This is, we'll go to brunch together and we'll shit on social media together as a team. I think social media 
there has to be a radical change with it because it is making us all sick. And it, if you have a job in the public eye, it makes your job more difficult in a way that is sometimes completely unfair and, and sometimes in ways that, that are fair. I mean, there is that expression is the is sunlight is the best disinfectant, which I'm sure a scientist would disagree with somewhere. <laughs> and it's actually a mixture of peroxide, baking soda or whatever, but... <laughs> I clearly know nothing about chemicals. My dad's a chemist, and I'm pretty sure I just gave out the recipe for mustard gas or whatever. But yeah, I, I do think that social media has made some radical social changes that I'm really thankful for as a woman of color. But as a comedian, I'm like, oh my God, there's, or just a woman of color. I also fear social media because I think, and you guys probably understand this too, as women, you get targeted and your words get parsed in ways that doesn't happen for men. You get scrutinized in a way. And then when you try to explain it, there's a million people just negging you. And I hate to use the word gaslighting because it's become the word of the year. But there is a bit of a gaslighting of when you say, I think I'm getting undue negative attention because of parts of my identity I can't control. And there's always a group of very angry people telling you like, oh, stop being a victim. Like, I'm not being a victim. I'm just observing a, a thing that's happening to me that I'm allowed to do that. So if people just, no one's letting up on anyone and it's exhausting. So taking breaks off social media is great. And you, you kind of realize that it's not real, a lot of it. A lot of it is manufactured and, and that's why it's so toxic for us. I'm so surprised that you use the cliche about sunshine. Don't you hate cliches? <laughs> I do. Well, I hate them, but I'm, I need them. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Cliches are the thing in comedy they tell you to steer clear from because they, they say, oh, you don't really want to say the thing that everyone's expecting. But as a comedian, cliches are a fun tool because when people are expecting you to veer left and you go right, it's a, it's a bit of an easy laugh. I'm giving you a behind the scenes magic about misdirection and you don't really need it. It's pointless. But Yes, I, I do love a cliche because it's my version of autopilot for verbal thinking. The Women of Ill Repute. It was really weird. Maureen and I both had cancer. And one of the things that like I, you can blame everything on cancer. That was weird. <laughs> well, we had it at the same time. But the weird thing was that I couldn't access cliches. And I thought as a journalist, as a comedian, it's the same thing. You're trained never to use a cliche, but sometimes they come in you and I couldn't for the life of me come up with a cliche. They never write about that in the cancer books about you don't have access to cliches. My dad had, well, he still has prostate cancer. He's had, he was diagnosed in like 2010, but it's, I mean, it's crazy because he's, you can't really tell by looking at him that anything's different. He's got great insurance. <laughs> so he's been just fine for years and, and still my dad in many ways, but I feel like prostate cancer is also a different cancer than other types of cancer. It's very treatable and manageable. But his big thing was juice. He's Jamaican and people just sent him juice all the time. <laughs> just curative juices. And he bought into teas, everything holistic. I mean, thank, thank goodness he didn't just rely on the holistic medicines. But I feel like he really leaned into juice because that's <laughs> what Jamaicans are known for is uh, really good juice. <laughs> And so, yeah, so many juices. It's funny. It's funny. It is. When I was going through chemo and I worked throughout, I was on the air working from home. This is back before anybody. This was 17 years ago. 
And I would make jokes about it. And some people found it offensive and it was like, fuck you. It's my cancer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But other people, other people who who had been through it, who had family members going through it, really loved the fact that, yeah, you know, like there's no point having cancer if you can't joke about it. But a lot of a lot of things are like that. I mean, you talk about race, you talk about penis size, you talk about all these things that people are horrified by. But the (laughs) fact that they're horrified by it gives you a way in to find the humor. And you do that. So I wonder, this was three years ago, your special, and it was before Black Lives Matters came. I mean, it was you were way ahead in a lot of ways. Would you be able to find the same humor now? I mean, I I think I know the answer to this. You would, if you were to write a special now about you, Aisha Brown, <laughs> the first black woman for the second time. <laughs> where would you want to go? Where, what would you, or would you want to explore the same topics in a different way? So we're dying for you to do another special, in other words. <laughs> That's basically it. When are you doing another special? You know what? Well, this is really appealing to the van. I needed this. Thank you. I've said this to other people before is that my stand-up is very much what I would talk about with girlfriends or guy, the, the few guy friends who I still have. Is it the penis jokes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's more than not doing stand-up. I, lo- I know way less men now, but I still know some men. They're, they're great. I'm just trying to avoid getting tweeted at. So I think that this, the subject matter might be similar, but I do feel like a way different person. Like I I do feel differently about, well, currently now incredibly single, so single. But I also feel, I don't know. I don't think I would be as light as I was in 2019. I don't feel as light, both physically and mentally. I am a different sized person than I was then. And I I feel changed. I, I don't know that a lot of people walked away from the pandemic and lockdown feeling like it's almost like we all had a coming of age moment. And so I don't know anyone who is able to feel the levity that they did before. But maybe that's also just being older, too. Like I filmed that special and I was 39. And now and even though 39 to 42 doesn't feel a lot older, if I were to be on a dating app, the four in place of the three feels different. There's that. But then there's also just I have these recurring shame waves of memory, you know, when you just think about things you said when you were 20 and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that to that person. And that hasn't, I, that started when I was in my mid thirties and hasn't stopped where I just become more and more regretful about words that I've said. So I do feel a little bit more serious. Like I don't know that I would stand by the exact same jokes that I had in my stand-up special. I mean, I could I don't feel that bad about them. I don't think I took any shots at anyone who was <laughs> vulnerable, really. A couple of ex-boyfriends, yeah, but... Yeah, they're not going to come for me, though, because they don't want me to say it was them. It's fictitious, right? Mm, sure. <laughs> yes, yes, they were all alleged. Yeah. <laughs> As were their, their bits, yes. <laughs> Which were measured and explained, <laughs> yes. And now you're single. Who, whoever would have predicted that? So that's why, that's why. Anyway, I was, I was really struck and I, I don't like to talk about this in our, cause this is not what this podcast is about, but I felt a certain amount of shame for using a word. Cause I used a word that you used a lot in your special, the, the N word. That you have the right to use. Aisha does. Yeah, but I didn't. And I, I was in a private phone call and I was outraged that somebody said that she was called that, but I shouldn't have used it. And so 
yeah, you deal with that shame, but I'm also now, you know, that was two or three years ago, like your special was two or three years ago. I think I learned from it and I, I thought I was being supportive and I wasn't seen that way. So yeah, you need to like listen more. You need to understand more. But I'm now I'm doing this podcast and it's all about, I don't know, getting past shame and, and regret in a way and, and trying to be a good person, being ashamed of the things you need to be ashamed of, but not spending your life in regret and shame because what does that accomplish? <laughs> I mean, I've only... I started doing stand-up in, I think, around when I was 34, I believe, 33, 34. And I always think about the fact that, thank goodness, I didn't start when I was in my 20s because I was reckless. And I also thank goodness that social media hasn't been around for the vast majority of my life, like not in the way that it is today. Twitter came out when, 2009 or 2011, one of those odd-numbered years, and I was slow to the take with it and hesitant from it. But things like YouTube, Twitter, things that live on like that. I think about the fact that I was allowed to make mistakes and I feel remorse, but I don't know that I would be able to grow as a human being if I had to continuously apologize and feel remorse. And the wound doesn't close when people won't let you get over a moment. And I was talking with my sister the other day. Actually, let me not drag her into this. Uh, she's a private person who doesn't need these problems. But, you know, when we were young, my mom put us into dance. And I remember doing a dance. I guess this was like, nine, this was in the either late 80s, early 90s. And one of the costumes was a really reductive little indigenous girl costume. And hugely embarrassed. And I mean, I was a child. I bear no responsibility. And I will, to this day, I will, I will shame the choreographer. <laughs> I will not. But thank goodness the image of that, that dance picture isn't the thing that represents me today as a 42-year-old. I, I would think that I was given time to grow past that embarrassing leotard. Just don't run for office. <laughs> oh, trust me. I've buried that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. There should be a statute of limitations. You just brought back a memory that I hadn't even thought about. And I absolutely do not assume responsibility for this. But we had a Cowboys and Indians day at camp when I was about seven. And my mother made, I was an Indian, as we called them then. And she made me, uh, <laughs> I was so small, she made me a dress out of a pillowcase. Okay, so that's how small I was with a fringe hemline and, you know, a feather. And I marched down the street as in, you know, a little Indian maiden. Oh, my God. Both of those words should not be used. And if anybody were to say to me, and I mean, even if I was 17 instead of seven, at that time, it was just, I was proud to have that costume. And if anybody were to hold that up. Now, yeah, but we were lucky to live in ignorance, but it was also, all right, to be ignored. But we were, ignorance is not an excuse. I think it's good that we're learning all the, and paying attention to different things now. I think it's great that we're more aware as a culture. I do think that, okay, somebody makes a mistake and you say, you've made a mistake and there's a consequence. That I'm all right with. What I'm not all right with is the, there does seem to be a malicious intent in going back very far into a person's past to dig up a wrongdoing or to beat something over the head. So like one action and then just make it that entire person's personality and identity. We are all a spectrum of things. Some of them great. And speaking from my own experience, some of them shameful and embarrassing. Like I, I think about 
2020 hit and I had just moved in with the boyfriend of the special and nothing accelerates a breakup more than moving in and seeing nothing else and no one else. (laughs) Makes it or breaks it. Yeah. For several months. If he didn't find me annoying before, I ensured he did. (laughs) But after that breakup, just a series of unfortunate events kept happening in my life where I was just put in positions where my mental health took a decline. And I would say this past winter, so January of 2022 till uh, I'm going <laughs> to go to about June was the darkest period of my life where I was I sunk to a level of depression I had never sunk to before. And luckily clawed my way out of it. But if people could see me in that period of time where didn't leave my apartment and and like working from home, not so much a blessing, a curse in that time, because if I had somewhere to be, I think it would have anchored me out of the darkness a little bit. But being able to Uber Eats and work from home and I guess just all of it I, I could do from this one little box. But if people could see me in that light, I would hate for that to be representative of an entire life that wasn't all darkness. So I don't know. I I do think we are living in a time where people are just not forgiving of themselves. And being on social media, it's like this reminder that you should be angry all the time. And I, I just don't think that's very healthy. I feel like the right people probably listen to this podcast. So I'm I know I'm not preaching to a terrible choir of <laughs> of incels or I don't know. Yeah, I just think we should all be nicer to ourselves right at this point in time. So are you okay now? Are you That is the sweetest are you okay I've I've heard in a while. That is so sweet. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm doing so much better. I, w- I was in a bad place when I think about where I was this time last year. I'm actually relieved I got out of it and that I I made it out with some friends still and somehow still working, (laughs) which I'm shocked. So what are you doing? Are you are you writing now for for people? Yeah, I I write for this hour is 22 minutes and I wrote for Roast Battle Canada. And every now and then I'll work for a a show that's in development that has no chance of ever getting made. Fun little things like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like to take meetings with the two networks that we have in this country and uh, string them along about a show I might write one day or not. I'm out there. I I was able to go to the Just for Last Festival this summer and I I wrote for the the galas that were happening there. So I feel like I have a lucky existence and there, there have been situations that have buoyed me out of cold darkness. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't know if it's any help, but something that somebody told me. And my God, I know a lot of comedians and there's never more more anxious, wretched group of people I've ever met in my life. And a miserable, dark, prone to depression and addiction and anxiety and horrible. Oh, my God, we're miserable. <laughs> what a delightful bunch. It's like it's like inviting. It's if you found out all children's clowns. We're just all a part of the same support group for balloon phobics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you something somebody told me a long time ago when I was going through maybe my darkest period, and it had nothing to do with cancer or anything like that. It was just depression. It comes from all sorts of places, but you don't lose your talent. You don't. You may think that you do. You may not believe in yourself, but your talent doesn't disappear. It may be submerged or it may be 
you know, redirected, but it doesn't, you don't lose it. It will be there for you when you need it, if you trust in yourself. I thought it was really helpful because you think, oh my God, I'm doing something terrible to myself. Maybe you are, but your talent doesn't go away. Well, there's that other layer of being a woman, again, where I, I do consider myself a feminist. And I do think, and I've said things and meant it to people where, where they said, oh, I'm fat or I, you know, I'm ugly now or I'm old, whatever. And I've said, nobody sees you in this negative shade that you see yourself in. No one's looking at that extra few pounds or, or seeing the extra crease you now have in your forehead or whatever. They're not looking at the one flaw that you've zeroed in on that you think makes up your entire being. But I don't feel that way about myself. So it's, it's weird to be able to look at people and see that they're consumed. I, I guess like I, I, the vanity of being a woman in the public eye, it's a difficult one to escape because I don't think when a woman is insulted, they do go right for our physical appearance. And, you know, even if it's Angela Merkel, <laughs> she's an incredibly accomplished woman very bright science person that I'm sure my dad would appreciate. But that's a woman who people, when they want to insult her, they go for her haircut. Wild. That's wild to me. And I, there is a level of wanting to be seen as a woman sometimes because wanting to be seen means facing scrutiny that, that's sometimes just so personal and hurtful. Well, I'm going to add, you said the uh, the word crow's feet is like, why do they call it crow's feet? It's so unfair. So I've been going on because going through cancer and everything was the hysterectomy, the euphorectomy, is that all of these words that are so, they're so wrong, basically. And then you said crow's feet as in, so I'm going to add that one to the list. Yeah, we need to rebrand it. Wisdom lines. Aisha, I'm going to ask you, and if you can't, I don't want you to feel bad about it, but can you do, can you still do the splits? <laughs> I will tell you this, I haven't tried it, but I'm gonna just based on <laughs> I had to go to a physiotherapist because I was sitting wrong and my shoulder started to hurt. So I'm gonna say no based on that. It doesn't involve your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I think that my joints and my muscles have basically said, like, grow up. Stop this. But you know what? Maybe maybe I'll do a yoga class, try to limber up for a comedy comeback because people want this. Actually, funny about that was I'd so for that special, that joke, I always do the splits and I hadn't done like a dress rehearsal until the morning of the show. And the stage was made of like the same rubber that the bottom of my shoes were made of. And so when I tried in dress rehearsal to slide into the splits, I just stopped short and I was in a panic. I'm calling my sister. I'm like, people are going to expect the splits. She's like, do you think you're Simone Biles? Nobody <laughs> wants the splits from you, fool. <laughs> just do the joke. Like, if you just get onto the floor and do something splits-like, no one's going to be disappointed. There's no judges in the audience with a, giving you a 10 or a 9. So I had to alter how I got into that joke, but it was a real moment of panic. And then I realized I wasn't a top athlete. <laughs> You are a perfectionist. You really are. Because I don't think anybody came to see you that night to do this place. <laughs> Nobody even came to see. They were just there because they probably heard that Tiffany Haddish was around the corner. And they're like, well, I guess I'll see this Canadian black girl for about a minute. <laughs> Every Canadian comic deals with the same humbling at JFL of uh, no one is here for me, but they might tolerate me. You never know. 
Well, that's how I saw Trevor Noah. I saw him at Just for Laughs a bazillion years ago before he did the the big show. So, you know, you never know. Or you can just keep writing and, and have a life. But we miss you. And if you could just like let us know which ones are your lines in the Beaverton or in the 22 Minutes or whatever, then we can follow you that way. He was a very positive. I did write a parody of Baby It's Cold Outside with the help of Jordan Foise and Abba Amaquando. We we teamed our, our comedy brains together. It's about inflation. It was called It's Cold Inside. It's very 22 minutes. But you know what? Abba and Chris performed it beautifully. And so, yes, the next time I coin another Canadian classic like that, I'm sending it to you both directly. Remember that you said this. <laughs> You let us know. I really hope that you have another special, though. I'd like to see you do. I mean, it's up to you. Who gives a shit what I think? But I think it would be wonderful for everybody. No, this is actually very motivating. Listen, Aisha, it's been a huge pleasure talking to you. It's been very moving. And we wish you, I speak for Wendy, rarely, but you know, we wish you all the best. You're hugely talented and hugely smart and beautiful and brave. So, you know. Oh, my God. Can we do this like every week? I will pay you. (laughs) You'd be the first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you're you're both lovely. And I I listened to your Alice and Dora episode, too. And oh, yes, she's great. She's wonderful. You guys are doing a, a great thing. I love hearing Canadian women just talking and we need more of that. Yeah, well, the the idea was like Maureen and I are very similar, but very different because she's a comedian and I used to be a very serious journalist. So, but somehow, somehow we get to meet really interesting people because I have a, I don't know anything about comedy, but I, I love it. And I love the fact that you're so brave and that you've taken risks and, and now you're looking after yourself. So you have to, you have to do both, but we're just so, so happy that you came on and it's been lovely to meet you. So we'll see you next week. We'll call. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Aisha. Thanks, Aisha. Thank you. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Same time. Thank you for having me. I found her very moving. Like, the funny is there, but so is the pain, and so is making an effort of your life, and where's the line? Anyway, it was just all, she's just so interesting, so lovely. You know, watching her, I mean, I knew she wrote, she writes for Baron, wrote for Baroness at this hour. But watching her special, I thought, oh, my God, she's so cocky and sure. That's a weird word, eh, cocky? Especially used for a woman. But so uh, brazen and fearless and sharp. And and then you meet the person and she's absolutely brilliant and funny and smart, but so vulnerable. Yeah, and so thoughtful. I mean, I I guess people, you know, 60-year-olds make assumptions about 40-year-olds being very adept and very into social media. But I think, like everybody... The world is changing and we all, you know, we've all gotten past the idea when Facebook said, it's all going to be great. We're all going to be communicating. Well, everybody will talk to everybody. And isn't that fat? Well, no, there's all kinds of downsides. And I think everybody realizes that. And it's had a real impact on her. So yeah, there are risks to taking risks. She was lovely. It's funny how the comedians are serious and then the serious people are hilarious. <laughs> I hope they mean to be. <laughs> Well, I, intentionally so, it is. It's, it just goes to show you people are not what they expect. But for the most part, they are lovely and wonderful to talk to and hopefully to listen to. Yeah, she's great on being the curse of the curse of being a woman, the curse of being a person of color, and, and also the curse of being someone who feels things so... We didn't even talk about ADD because I think somewhere 
on a YouTube, I saw her talking about having ADD and that she can't focus on one thing for a long time. And then she suffers from depression and anxiety, which it seems like, you know, like so many people. They all go hand in hand and hand in hand. Yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, it was, it was lovely to talk to her and, and I might've gotten a little sort of swept away because she talks so deeply about the N word and taking risks and not blaming people for whatever. Wendy, it was a good opportunity to have that conversation and the right person to talk to. And like she said, you know what? You can't be held accountable for all your mistakes in the past. And God knows you've been contrite. And I always want to jump in and explain that this was not your fault. But anyway, I'm glad that we got to hear this conversation. So yeah, she was wonderful. So thank you so much. So we'll talk soon. Talk again. Okay, bye. The Women of Ill Repute with Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womenofillrepute.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.